Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. You are on the trail less traveled, and this evening the trail is being recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled here in the mountains of Missoula, Montana. I have just gotten off the Colorado River, guiding two back-to-back trips on the Grand Canyon. I'm back in Missoula for just a few days, heading out to ride some horses in the Bob Marshall, and I have a real treat for you this evening. Twelve years ago, I met my guest. His name is Buffalo Child, and I was teaching a whitewater kayaking course. You remember that, Buffalo? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Buffalo contacted me, and I haven't seen you really since then, maybe once or twice around town, but Mm -hmm. it's just a real honor to have you in the studio, and I hope to maybe visit you down in Sedona this summer Mm -hmm. and potentially adventure with you around there on a jeep or a horse, but I'll just tell a little bit about Buffalo and then maybe have you do your traditional introduction, but Mm -hmm. Buffalo is a stunt man. He's a specialist in martial arts, boxing, swimming, canoeist, motorcyclist, a driver of anything, firearms, excellent horseman, bareback and western. He is North American Plains Cree Indian, and he speaks Cree fluently. He also teaches, and a hoop dancer, a singer, a keynote speaker. Some of the films, just a few of the films that Buffalo has been on, is Cowboys and Aliens, Crazy Horse, Dances with Wolves, Call of the Wild, Broken Arrows, as well as a bunch of television work, and on stage. I am so honored that you're here in the studio, Buffalo, and you have your new dog with you as well. What's his name? Chipai. He's a purebred English settler. Everybody calls him a setter, but since I'm an Indian, now he's here first, he's a settler. <laughs> Buffalo, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself the traditional way? In said, my name is Buffalo Child, Eagle Whistleblower. That was my great-grandfather. And that's a spiritual name. He was a very special man, you know. He was a very famous medicine man, and when he was old and dying... They didn't expect him to live, and he called his horse, and he took off, and his horse come and took him, and he went out in the wilderness, and he disappeared for about three days, and when he came back, he was super healthy. He stayed like that for maybe another 10, 15 years. You know, the people, you don't just live off the land, you live with the land, and then there's spirits in the land, you know, and a lot of people don't understand about spirits. Spirits are real, you know. Anything that has a life force has a spirit, like a plant, like an animal, like us humans. We have this life force, this energy. And when you have people that are spiritual, they connect with the spirit, you know. They connect with this life force. I've done this myself, where you can move energy. And then later on, uh, I met a a guy in Indiana. He was kind of famous, and he was a Qigong master. Well, he did martial arts, and he hit this guy without touching him and right through a phone book and knocked about four or five guys flying. And I did that once with a bull, and I didn't know it was Qigong. But it's a universal thing. It's not only oriental. This is like universal. 
And spirits talk to us. Spirits communicate with us. But there's two problems why man can't communicate with spirit. is because man has excessive movement. They move around too much. And the other thing is excessive noise. So if you want to get in touch with spirit, you got to stop the noise. Totally. No radios on, no televisions on. Go into nature and just keep away from the noise. And then excessive movement. You keep away from busy places and you just isolate. You pray whatever you're doing, meditate. You hear messages, you know, and there's messages all over. Some people have a weak spirit and they go to a canyon. The Grand Canyon probably eats over 100 people a year, people that die in that canyon. And they don't document all this stuff. They don't tell people. But what happens is you might go to a canyon and you'll hear a voice like, jump, jump, and people jump because they have a weak spirit. So our people say, only let good spirits guide you. So you listen to only the good spirits. And then when you're connected and your ancestors help you, you're blessed. And this is just the way it is, you know. So you think about life has a force, anything with energy, that's just a little bit. Buffalo Child, I'd like to ask you now about your ancestors and the North American Plains Cree Indian. They're called Nehiwak, Nehiwaisinoak, which means peak niso and sto. Neo is like one, two, three, four. It's like four entities, four bodies or four spirits. Mind, body, spirit, and emotion. And when you have all of these things balanced, you become whole, you become complete. And this is our name, Nehiwak, Nehiwaisinoak, which means mind, body, spirit, and emotion, the four entities, four bodies that are complete and balanced, you become whole. Mm -hmm. Buffalo, tell us about your early childhood and how adventure was part of it. I was blessed. I didn't know how blessed I was. My dad's side, like from Montana, you know, and my mom's side, Saskatchewan. I grew up in both sides. You know, we never had a United States or Canada at one time. My people, there was what we called the Turtle Island, so there's no such thing as Canada. There's no such thing as the United States or even Mexico. It was Turtle Island, and that's where we lived. And then with the 49th parallel, the north part was called Canada, and the south part was called the United States. So my people are on both sides of the 49th parallel. So we get this thing called J Treaty, whereas if you're on the Canadian side, you come across, they recognize you because your people are on both sides. There's a lot of natives like that. There's some Salish, some Iroquois, Blackfeet, and they call them Blackfoot on one side, you know. It's, but we're on both sides. Well, my dog, I call him an English settler. Everybody says an English setter. But there's a funny story about this guy. You know, he's kind of got a bonehead. He's, you ever feel his head? He's got a lump on his head. And they say that's a sign for that breed of dog. But he's my friend. I had him for five years now, and he's six years old. He had a name. He's a purebred, so he had a name when I got him, but I renamed him. I call him Cheap Eye because he's white. He runs in the snow, and he disappears like Casper. And then uh, another reason I call him Cheap Eye is because uh, he has red ears, you know, and when he runs, his head looks like it's on fire when he's running. He looks like uh, Ghost Rider 
ghost rider and his head was on fire. He rode a motorcycle and my dog's like that, you know. And Chipai means ghost. Buffalo, will you tell us about where you grew up and how adventure was part of your childhood? How did you get into riding horses? Well, when I was five years old, I was given a horse. Unfortunately, you know, one of my uncles took that horse, you know, but I was around horses since I was a kid. You know, we'd be on a reservation. We'd ride the horses. In that time, there's isolated places, and we'd ride on the wagons, and some of the wagons had wooden spokes, and some of the wagons had car tires. And the white people wouldn't bring their cars on the reservation roads because they're too rough. Well, there were a lot of wagons at that time. It was kind of interesting. You'd jump on a wagon, and you'd jump off a wagon, you know, and... My great-grandmother died, you know, at 107 years old. She died when I was 10 years old, and she could tell stories. I grew up in a little log house with mud and grass. They used to put the mud and grass in between the logs. Mud dried. The grass would hold it in place, and they do that in the spring and the fall sometimes. You know, it keeps the mud house warm for the winter, and it's pretty good. But a lot of times... Indian kids were left alone. They're in a moss bag and had smudge and they had medicines with them to protect them. The little Indian baby would be in a tree and and get to know nature and the, and the parents would be close by. And as a little boy, they left me alone sometimes, you know. And I'd be in this little log mud house when they're out working, doing things, you know, fishing on the lake or slashing or some kind of job. And I experimented with all kinds of things. There was an old Pasimo school, uh, no Chigi school, like an older Sioux woman. And I'm like 116th Nakota myself. But this old Sioux woman loved eating gophers, you know. And I was like five years old at that time. So she'd say, ah, I'm going to meet you in the way then. Not the more. I'm, like, I'm a little hungry for some meat. And she'd point at one of the gophers. So us kids would go over there and plug up maybe there were seven holes and take a bucket of water and pour it down that one hole and the gopher pops up and you hit him in the head with a stick and and then you take a, like a stick, like a wiener roast stick and you carve it up like and you stick it up his butt. Like, you know, I don't want to describe it like that, but it's true. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's up his poop or whatever. And then you cook him over an open fire and you take your knife, you scrape off the fur. So the fur comes off and you scrape out the guts and then just a little salt. And she loved that, you know, and it tastes pretty good too. You know, and that's healthier than chicken or pork or anything. Those little things eat a lot of roots and grass, you know, and they're healthier. But the people just think of it that way, you know. So I probably wouldn't want to eat a city gopher, but country one would be probably better. I grew up wolves around. You know, there's all kinds of stories. I can't tell some of those stories because in our culture, we can't tell those stories till there's snow on the ground, you know. So there's no snow right now, so I can't tell that. And I'd probably have to have a smudge to tell some of those real spiritual stories, you know, because that's our way, you know. We we treat that sacred, you know. And we don't just broadcast things on radio stations. <laughs> we have to have it done. Uh, there's protocol, you know, with smudging and snow on the ground. And we just don't say things for curiosity's sake or to turn around and you know, it's like if you're a pipe carrier, you don't tell everybody, ha, I got pea, tiku, tagu, You don't tell everybody, I got power, I got a pipe, not that way, that's the way I was taught. We start, I got 
Not like that either. We don't show how beautiful it is. That's not the way it is. We pray because we love the Creator. We love the people. We are a servant to the people. We're a servant to the Creator. And we're part of that family, that web of life. And it's a sacred thing, and you have protocol to do it that way. You know, so that's really spiritual, and that's really important, you know. We don't go taking sacred Sundance songs or ceremonial songs and put them on YouTube or something like that. You know, they don't belong there. You know, those things are supposed to be respected, you know. But that's the way I grew up, you know. When I was a little boy, there was at least five or six old people that were like over 100 years old, and they couldn't speak English. Oh, and we They say, "Oh, yeah, yeah. Who's your relative?" And you tell them who your relatives are. They go, "Oh, you're my relative too." I go on my and Joam. I go Nishchas. I go Tapskutsukawis. You know, like your auntie or your uncle or your cousin of this. And in, in, in Indian way, we have extended family, and that's why the Indian people live survive for a long time. Extended family. Your first cousins are like your second brothers and sisters. And your uncles and your aunts are like your second mom and dads. And my grandchildren would be like my brothers and sisters' grandchildren. And their grandchildren would be my grandchildren. And that's extended family. And that's why they were successful. Unfortunately, today, people are all for the quick remedy. Google that. You know, think about this. But you have something in your head. is not the same like having something in your heart. You know, you can read an adventure magazine about... Raft the Grand Canyon, and it's all this, and you you could describe it all you want, and it's all bullshit until you do it, you know. And I love doing it, <laughs> and you most certainly do. If you've just tuned in, that's the voice of Buffalo Child. Buffalo Child is a very accomplished actor as well as a stuntman. Some of the movies that he's been in include Dances with Wolves and, most recently, Cowboys and Aliens. He also specializes in martial arts, boxing, swimming, canoeing, motorcycling, and he's an excellent horseman. Buffalo, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your connection with the land. You said that your people, the North American Plains Cree Indian as well as some of the other First Nation, live with the land mm-hmm. and animals. Like, you know, people say, I live off the land, you know, so you, you take advantage of the land, you know, you live off it. It's better to live with the land. When you live with the land, not only do you share with it, you know, you, you look after it. Like when you pick medicine, there's a protocol. We put tobacco down and we pray and the tobacco rises. We got permission to pick that medicine and only that medicine. And when you know how to pick medicine, you don't pick all of that medicine. You just pick maybe a couple prime ones that are there and you leave the rest. You don't be like a cattle, like a cow and eat everything because next year there's nothing there. So you only take the most mature ones and you leave all the rest. So next year you come back and the medicine is good. You know, you take a couple mature ones and you leave the rest. And people have to learn that. It's same as hunting, you know. You don't take everything. You just take what you need. You see what's going to help you for next year. So you only hunt. Maybe you've got an older male there, or maybe they have too many females, and it's not in the time when they're going to have a baby. So you you have to go accordingly. You have to do things accordingly. And Indians have been burning forests and stuff for thousands of years, you know. 
the Europeans first came here, they said it was like a paradise. The grass was not too high. It was beautiful, and the deer and everything was plentiful, you know, because the Indians knew that just before the winters came and the snow came, they would burn some of the timber there. So we never had this funny Smokey the Bear stories of, of don't burn anything, leave it all natural, you know. You just burn the dead stuff at the right time, and then you never have these forest fires that we have all the time because some professor or some people make a study, they don't have no idea what they're doing. It's like the scientists, when they grab a species and bring it somewhere else, and it upsets nature. You are on The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure series. And the voice that you hear is the voice of Buffalo Child. When we come back, we're going to learn more about his travels around the world, working on films and in television. But Buffalo, it's now time for a song. You're also a poet. Is there a poem or a song that you could share with us that maybe reminds you of your early childhood adventures? When I was a little boy, I went to my first Sundance when I was like five years old. And I was sleeping, you know, and I was sleeping. And we have this person that wakes up the people in the morning. He walks around with a hand drum and he goes, <clears throat> he'd be singing, he goes, Oneska tatapenuma asepisis nanikamua ehem yunagwan chitaskino ea yao ea yao ea hea ya yo hea ea hea ya yo hea ea hea yo and that means wake up, wake up. It is daylight. The birds are singing. And there is beauty all around Mother Earth. And I sat up. I was about five years old. I sat up in that tent. We had a little tent at the Sundance. My Noka, my grandmother, we still call her Coco, she'd take me as a little boy there to the Sundance. They had a little barrel that they made into a stove. And that's where we cooked, and that's where we stayed warm. And that place was uh, special. But at that time, I was sleeping, and I heard this song, and I was laying down, a little boy about five years old, and I started singing that song. Then I popped up, and I started listening to him sing, and I started singing that song. And I asked my kokum, you know, who's singing? He says, ah, go on, my. She said, that's the one that wakes the people up in the morning. You know, so that was the old way, and that's the way it was. And that's the way it is, still is with the traditional people. You know, it's like a man's memory is his history. A man without a memory is like a people without a history who cannot grow wiser, stronger, better, or together. San ma. Hey, hey, oh, thank you. The Trail Less Travel podcast is sponsored by Karuna Clothing. Sewn with love and laughter, Karuna Clothing is handcrafted from natural fabrics which soften as they age. They design clothing lines to fit the moods of places which have inspired them. Designed simply and using the best fabrics, Karuna Clothing creates their own unique colours. Strong, well-sewn, small batch, unique product lines which are simply beautiful. Handmade in Missoula, Montana... All of Karuna clothing is sewn and dyed in the U.S. and all workers are paid good living wages. www.karunaclothing.com That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com
it's an honor to have Buffalo Child in the studio here. Buffalo Child is an accomplished actor as well as a stuntman. He's known for his work with Dances with Wolves, Call of the Wild, and then a long list of films that I have in front of me, as well as television. Before we get to your film work, Buffalo, I'd like to talk to you about your connection with the spirit of a horse. Horse is a sacred animal. Horse has good medicine. When my people first started seeing the horse, they used to call it misatim. And atim is what we call a dog. Misatim is what you call a big dog. So they started calling the horse a big dog, you know. Horse and the Indian bonded really well together. They're on the plains. I'm a plains Indian. We have ceremonies, and sometimes we talk about place of origin is south. And you know anything about other tribes like the Navajo, which the white man called them Navajo. That wasn't their name. Some of them call themselves Dene, and, and they're Apache. And, and these people are Athabascan language groups. They really came from the north. They came from like the Yukon. They came from way up north, and they came south, Navajo. And my people, we talk about place of origin. We come from south. What happened to me one time was I was in the Idol George Museum in Indiana, and they talked about the Miami Indians, and they talked about the vanishing Miami language. And I started reading what they wrote, and it was like, and I go, I know those words, you know, river and lake and all that. And I started looking at it, and then all of a sudden uh, I heard the voice of these last few elders speaking Miami language. And I was shocked because that's the closest I've ever heard to my language. It was identical. And then I remembered the elders talking about we came from the South, you know. So a lot of the anthropologists, they messed up some stuff, you know. Just because Indians were here, they say they're from here. They like to label things, you know. They really want to label. They know Athabascan. They know Navajo come from the North and they know a lot of the Crees were in the south, and and then when they spoke that language, I was that was like identical to my language. I understood like ninety percent of everything they said, and in my language you have like the high Cree and you have the low Cree, and the only differences between the high Cree and the low Cree is uh, if you speak the high Cree, you go hey hey kanaskumtin, and if you speak the low Cree, you just say naskumtin, which means they shorten it. But when you shorten it, you take away some of the special things inside, you know. If your name is Weapanas or Muscapatun or Kupipapagonasit, you know, that long name, whether it's 14 letters long, has a lot of meaning to it. The Hopi Indians are the same way. They have a name. It's very descriptive, you know, and it's, it says a lot. And you know what it means. But this horse is sacred to us. Horse has a spirit. And when you earn the respect of that horse— you know, a horse knows you. If you get on a horse and you're afraid, the horse knows you're afraid, you know. And if you get on a horse, the horse is kind of like uh, acting up, you know. you The horse doesn't like you, you know. you got to become one with that horse. I have little tricks I do sometimes, you know. Like I grab a horse sometimes, and if the horse acts up, and I put my head right beside it. And their eyes are big, so if you go by a horse's eye, they think you're gigantic. <laughs> they look at you like you're big. And the other trick is when I start to know a horse a little, I'll go by his nostril and go, <sighs> I'll breathe in his nostril, and he'll know you. He'll know you a little. You kind of feel out the horse, and the horse feels you out, and the horse trusts you. You trust the horse, and there's magic that happens when you ride the horse. Eh? 
So the horse has got a spirit. You got a spirit. You got to connect on a spiritual level, connect on an emotional level. And then the physical level, you kind of know the basics and then you connect with the horse. Eh? One time I was in uh, Italy. Here's a funny story. I got contacted years and years ago by uh, Pink Floyd. They wanted me to ride a horse bareback. I don't know. I just don't think so right now. Well, we want you to ride a horse in a movie. No, nah, no. Nah. And I turned them down. I wish I wouldn't. Didn't turn them down. <laughs> I wish I would have rode the horse for them, like with no shirt on, my hair long, and riding a horse. But then I got another job like that in Italy where I did the same thing. And it was with Harvey Keitel, and it was called My West, and it was an Italian. And I rode a horse in a glacier up in Italy by the Matterhorn. Part of the thing I had to do with this horse is, if you ever seen that show, A Man from Snowy River, where he rode that horse down a mountain with a saddle on, I did the same thing, but I went bareback. So it's a suicide ride. So I rode down the mountain with this horse bareback. But that horse is awesome. I mean, like, I connected with that horse, and he got my trust, and I got his trust. And that horse was from the area. I wanted to buy that horse, but, you know, the guy wouldn't sell that horse to me, but I liked that horse. It's good. So I rode that horse down a mountain, straight down a mountain, bareback, and it's a good feeling. You know, it's a special feeling, you know. But I've had all kinds of horses. There's been good horses, and there's been horses that aren't too good. I was working on a film in British Columbia one time. I seen this horse that was kind of crazy. It was bucking and biting and, and attacking the other horses. And that was my horse I was supposed to ride in a scene. And I said, hey, you better let me ride the horse a little bit before the scene or he's going to act up. And he said, okay, go ahead. So I jumped on a horse and I weigh about 200 pounds. and like six foot, 200 pounds and I horse took off like lightning just and I thought okay you silly horse like I weigh 200 pounds you're gonna get tired in a while well okay the horse never got tired (laughs) and I was surprised and we went for like over 30 minutes and the horse is still running like secretariat or something and it wouldn't stop faster and faster and all of a sudden I heard a voice out of nowhere it was like stop the horse and I go, what the heck? There's nobody around here. So I, and I started pulling the horse back, pulling his head and his neck back. Wouldn't stop. Okay. And all of a sudden, a couple of minutes later, stop the horse. So I go, okay. So I stuck my feet in the stirrups and I was saddled that time. I pulled his head back a lot. He wouldn't stop. And I said, okay. You know, and then all of a sudden I heard, stop the horse. And I go, whoa, what the heck? And there's nobody around. So I grabbed that horse, and I stuck my feet in the stirrups, and I was about pulled his head right off, and I used all my legs and everything, and I pulled that horse's head right back, and I stopped that horse. And right about two feet in front of me was a 300-foot cliff. Yep. And that's a true story. So you don't tell me there's no such thing as spirits or God, because there is. And anybody who's atheist, that's your problem, not mine. You are on the trail less traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure series. And the voice you hear is the voice of Buffalo Child. Buffalo is an accomplished actor as well as a teacher, a martial arts specialist, and a stuntman. Buffalo, I would love to talk to you about one of my favorite films, and that's Dances with Wolves. And I think that movie was done quite a while ago, but I think it's probably pretty powerful in your heart still. Can you tell us about what it was like to ride a horse in that movie? 
Well, it's kind of a funny story when I really think about it because uh, I was living in Vancouver that time, so I rode my motorcycle all the way from Vancouver to Los Angeles. And I got down to L.A., and uh, I got my sides, and I got off book, and I was ready to read for Wind in His Hair. Supposed to be there at like 9 o'clock, and they're around 8.30, and I waited, let them know I signed in, and they wouldn't let me do my audition. And I waited till almost 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Then they called me in for my audition. And they go, uh, oh, you're Buffalo? Yeah, yeah. He says, uh, you got your sides? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what are you reading? I said, wind in his hair. He says, you can't read that. We cast it that 20 minutes ago. I go, what? They said, we cast it that 20 minutes ago. I said, you know, I came all the way down here and I had the sides for wind in his hair. And you're telling me it's casted? They go, Yeah. And it's Kevin Koster and, and uh, Michael Blake, who was the writer. He's passed on now. And Jim Wilson, they looked at me like, who's this guy? And, and I said, could you at least give me the courtesy of reading it because you did give me the sides? And he goes, yeah, sure. So I read Wind in His Hair. He goes, Kevin jumps up. You got it. I said, I got it. Yeah, you got it. I got the role. He goes, yeah. And then Jim Wilson says, no, nah, I tried. And they start whispering. He says, Buffalo, can you give us five minutes? So chased me out of room five minutes. About nine, ten minutes later, they called me in. They said, congratulations, you're in our film. And they shook hands with me. And I said, oh, and Wind in the Air says, no, no, we can't give you that because it would cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars to break Rodney Grant's contract. And I go, really? And they go, yeah. And I go, oh. And they said, well, we've got this other role called The Toughest. And I said, oh, okay, sure. I thought, well, this is interesting. Told my agent what happened. Okay, fine. And I was busy working on other films. And then all of a sudden, I got a call. I got to fly to South Dakota. So I went down to South Dakota. And I'm down there. And there's this happy guy. He's really happy and all excited. And his name's Wes Duty. And he goes, hi, how are you? And I said, good. And I'm Wes Duty. I'm Buffalo Child. How you doing? We shook hands. And he goes, oh, you playing one of the pony? I go, yeah, yeah. And he goes, which one? I said, the toughest. He goes, no, you're not. And I go, why? He says, I'm the toughest. And I said, no, I'm the toughest. He says, I'm the toughest. I said, I'm the toughest. And he says, I'm telling Kevin. So he ran away and got Kevin Koster. Kevin came in the trailer and says, what's wrong, Buffalo? And I says, well, uh, you told me I was the toughest, and I came down here, and I'm ready to play the toughest. And Wes said, he's the toughest. And uh, who's the toughest? He says, Wes is. And I says, what? I said, first you take away wind in his hair from me. Now you take away the toughest. Who am I supposed to be? You're number one pawnee. I said, you know what? I'm not cutting my hair. I'm not going to be near Phil. And this big star looked like he was going to cry, and his head was down. That's Kevin Koshner. And I said, oh, heck. You know, I felt bad. I said, Kevin, Kevin, I'll do it. And he says, well, we'll pay you the same as Wes. I said, okay, okay. So I was number one pawnee. I'd eat this egg in there, and, and my lines were something like, Sakovic, Dahovic, Hochesqua, dot to dot. You know, and I played this role, and I had this skull in the back of my head, and so we shot this Timmins guy full of arrows, and it was, and that was Robert Pascarelli, who was a great guy. I used to enjoy riding with him. He's gone now, but he's gone to the spirit world. But he was fun. Robert was fun. I enjoyed him, you know. But uh, I had to ride horses uh, 16 hours a day, bareback almost, you know. It was long days and I hadn't been on a horse in a few years and now I'm riding 16 hours bareback so I had sweat sores on my butt anybody who rides horses know what sweat sores are because you're riding bareback so I had these big blisters on my butt so uh, I got back I went to the drugstore I said do you have anything for like minor cuts and burns yeah yeah over there and I so I grabbed this stuff and after work I had a super hot shower and 
Then I put a handful of this stuff on the palm of my hand, like about a quarter cup of water. But I poured all this stuff, this medicine I got, and I slapped it on. I button rubbed it on. I jumped about four feet in the air, and I go, holy jeez, it was called witch hazel. <laughs> so I washed it off, and the next day is totally healed. So that stuff worked good. <laughs> That's the voice of Buffalo Child. He is speaking about his work on Dances with Wolves, and Dances with Wolves is just one of the many films that Buffalo has appeared on. And not only is he a stuntman, he's also an actor, he's also a professor, he's also a martial arts specialist, and he is of the North American Plains Cree Indian. Buffalo, it's time now for another song. Is there a song that comes to mind now that reminds you of your life's adventures? Well, first of all, I don't call myself a martial arts specialist no more because I'm not really active in it, you know. I used to love fighting better than sex, you know, and I have 11 kids, you know, so it's... <laughs> and I worked for a bouncer for years, and it was kind of fun, but I'm more mellow now, you know. I think I've become a lover instead of a fighter. But a song, I don't know what I was the most shyest person you ever met in your life, you know. When I came off the res, I was so shy, you know, I had people talk to me and I put my head down and smile and I couldn't talk to them. A girl liked me. I just kind of smile real big and kind of put my head on my shoulder and be shy of these girls. Hey, you know, it was horrible. It was, a, And then I had to read books and watch movies and learn how to talk to a girl. And, and then I learned songs, you know, like, so I used to uh, sing these songs and sometimes I'd meet a girl and I'd go, Forbidden Angel. You know I must let you go while everything in me says love you. But better judgment tells me no. (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) This evening, the trail less traveled is being recorded in Missoula, Montana at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. And it's an honor to have Buffalo Child in the studio with me. You've been busy. You're an actor. You're a stuntman. You are of the North American Plains Cree Indian. There's definitely a lot of curiosity in the community about what it's like to be a stuntman. I'm not doing a lot of stunt work anymore too much, you know. Like, I don't bounce as well as I did 20 years ago, but I still do some stunts, you know. I still do, like, if I had to do, like, maybe 10 squids, and squids are basically a quarter load of gunpowder on a brass button with a condom filled with corn syrup and red food dye, and uh, electrical charge hits that gunpowder, it explodes, and it'll bust a hole right through your jacket, and you see red blood squirt out, and it's, uh, it's called a squid. And uh, I've done as many as, oh, I think it was 15 is the most squids i ever done on me at one time. And you got to be careful with them because if you put your hand over a squid, it'll blow your fingers right off. You know, and there's been actors that have actually died from blanks, you know. Blanks are a quarter load of powder with a cotton and that'll bust right through a, a fence, you know, a wooden fence, you know. One by four or so, it just break a hole through it. So you got to be careful because some actors have died from blanks, you know, like Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son, you know, and people like that, yeah. My cousin is a stuntwoman in South Africa, and her specialty is green screen and doing cable work, Mm -hmm. and she rides horses and has to sometimes do backflips off the horse, Mm -hmm. and um, she said that the scariest stunt she ever did was jumping off of a train, the special way that you're supposed to land and Mm -hmm. roll, and I was interested in being a stuntwoman for a while until I found out how often she's actually in the hospital from the work she does, so being a stunty... How much of the time are you getting injured? 
Well, I've been lucky, you know. Like when I worked on Cowboys and Aliens, there were a lot of uh, saddle bronc riders and bull riders there. And throughout three months of working on that film or whatever it was, a lot of those guys got hurt, and I never got hurt. But I was sore at the end of that film because you're riding eight or nine different horses, and and you got nipon bombs exploding in front of you, and you got dead horses that are taxidermist stuffed. And these horses are freaking out, and there's powder and everything. So, so these horses are trained for that. You know, they're they're not gun shy. You know, they're used to it. People get hurt. People get killed. I know one time I had this cowboy and alien thing, and there's this first AD guy. He was very unprofessional. He he wasn't watching what was happening, and they had me running. Sometimes you're on foot. Most of the time I'm a horse. This one time I was running down this narrow little pathway that went for about 300 yards and was only about uh, maybe 24, 36 inches wide. And I had to book it down that thing. And so all the time I did this and then this first AD guy came on and he just changed the plan. And he said, you ride your horse down there full speed. When I say now, it's like he tried to kill me. So I'm running down that thing. And all of a sudden after three rehearsals, they changed it, and they put a horse coming down there. I'm going to get trampled to death by this big horse about 17 hands high and his rider, and they're full speed booking it. And I go, oh, sh-. you know, I'm not going to say H-I-T, you know, but I almost did it. But I'm running down there booking it, and I hear this horse, and I go, oh, sh-. I know what's going on. So, you know, you talk to spirit, and you're conscious. So I did in my mind. You know, it's like meditating. And all of a sudden, the plan was that... As soon as the horse comes by me, I leap in the air as high as I can, and I put my hand over my uh, fist. I'm on the right side of the horse, so my left elbow is ready to go into the horse. Right hand's ready to push in the fist, and I jump in the air, and I nail that horse in the shoulder, and I push as hard as I could, and the horse moves over slightly, and I move over slightly, and the horse doesn't get hurt, and I don't get hurt. And then I land, and the horse takes off, and we just barely made it. I could have got trampled to death. And then the rider, at the end, when I got out, he's almost freaked out. He says, I'm sorry, but the first day he told me to go down there. And I said, don't worry, man. I got a big thrill out of that, man. That was exciting. <laughs> you got to be crazy to be a stunt person. That's one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Buffalo Child. What drives you to do what you do? I think it's in the blood. You can't get scared, you know. You, you're you not allowed to get scared. If you're scared, you don't show it, you know. Like there's times when I worked in Indiana. I worked for a doctor for three years over there. I was sent to get something in the big house. And the kids had a, little, a bunch of rubber snakes in the house all the time, you know. So I came in the house, and all of a sudden this big snake about over five feet long was in the living room, you know. And they have a big pond. It's almost like a little lake in front of their house. And they have a big deck, and the doors were open. And this water moccasin, cottonmouth, came inside the house and it was in there. And when I came in, it was up about maybe six inches, ready to strike. So I was going to grab it. So I went about four or five inches away from it and I was going to grab it. And I paused and I said, you know what? This looks pretty shiny. I don't think their snakes look this shiny. When you were around a rattlesnake or something, the worst thing you can do is move fast. You know, when you move fast, that snake instinctively attacks you. So what you do is you pause, you wait, and then you slowly move back. And that's how you get away from a snake. So I did that, and then I went into the kitchen, and I grabbed a butter knife, and I flung it at that snake. And holy jeez, that thing was alive. 
And I said, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? So I need a weapon. I went downstairs, and the kids, they had a little twenty two caliber single shot twenty two with a scope on it. Who the heck puts a scope on a twenty two? I don't know. But they did. So I took the scope off. They had a log house, and I looked at this snake down the barrel, and I took the bead off the end of the barrel, and I looked at the floor where I'd hit the last log by the floor so nobody didn't know I shot a twenty two there. <laughs> it's like shooting pool. I aimed that barrel at that snake's head. And then I shot it, and I got it in the head, and I had stuff to do. I came back, and it was gone. I go, oh, geez. You know. I had a little air CO2 handgun. So I put some CO2 in there and some BBs, and I, and I lifted a stick up underneath the couch and sofa, and I saw it under there. I shot it three times, and I knew it, it was dead. Eh? So I, I put a note on there. I put, hey, you boys, I got something for you under the couch. Well, I got heck from the doctor. He says, don't you know there's venom in the teeth of that snake? And I go, oh, shucks, you know, I, I never seen that kind of snake before. I said, I'm sorry. He said, that's a cotton mouth. That's a water moccasin. I said, I, I never seen one before. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the next day they had another one right beside the wood pile by the water. But this time I grabbed a 410. And those snakes don't belong around people because when there's kids around, you want to get rid of them. And sometimes they'll come back. Yeah. Growing up in South Africa, we tried moving the snakes, and the snakes always came back. No matter how many kilometers you put the snake away from the home, it would come back. Yeah. My next question is for the North American Plains Cree Indian in your ancestors. Tell us about the spirit of a snake. We talked about the spirit of a horse earlier. Can you tell us a little bit about the spirit of a snake? Well, people aren't going to like this, but every animal has different gifts, you know. Like an owl, he's a silent flyer. His feathers look like a red-tailed hawk. But they have like a dust on them, you know. Unless you know what feathers look like, you could look like a red-tailed hawk and, a, and an owl feather, and they'll look alike a little, except you know right away that's an owl feather because it has like a dust on it. And the dust makes that feather quiet. So when that owl flies, you don't hear him. He's a silent flyer, you know. And because he sees in the night, he's the opposite of an eagle. And an eagle is a good omen around my people. It's sacred. It has a gift of vision and helps people see their journey in life, you know. One time all medicine was good, you know, all medicine was good. And then it became polluted. And when it became polluted, you had dark medicine and and white medicine. And the dark medicine was used for the wrong reasons, you know. It became poisoned or tainted. And the snake is, uh, they use that for sexual medicine sometimes, so I don't like a snake. I keep away from it. <laughs> Basically, that's one. And an owl is used for not good things, and an eagle is used for good things, you know. But they're all God's creation, you know. And But God made man, and man has free will, and, and some men are good, and some are bad, and some holy men are not that holy. That's why they have a little dark in them. And some evil men are not all that bad. They got a little white in them. It's kind of like yin and yang, you know. Uh huh. Buffalo, as a stuntman and an actor, some people are held back by a cage of, of fear. And I would like to ask you how you personally deal with fear and have dealt with fear from all the work you've done in film. I think people die because of their fear, you know. You're in a raft and you probably might die there and... And then you all panicky, and that's when you die, or you're getting a plane crash, and, and you're stuck up there, and you get all panicky, and you, 
you make wrong choices or you're in a situation you make wrong choices you know the best thing you can do is is just make sure you got some water a little bit of food relax and just be calm and then you meditate pray do whatever you're going to do and then the answers come don't quit before the miracle happens you know people who react in this world cause problems you know it's called drama don't have that drama in your life so i listen to my intuition if i got a feeling something's not going to work i'll just say you know what i'm not comfortable with this and he says well why not you're going to get paid a lot of money and i said well uh, it's not going to be no good to me if i'm dead right huh so uh, i need something else working there you know i need a safety thing done there or something and we don't have it in the budget. And I said, well, get somebody else. And I'm not going to do it till you guys get this. And then they come back to you. Well, we put it in. And then you do your stunt and you're fine. You know, sometimes you have to speak up. You know, you don't just do whatever people tell you. Doing stunt work is a calculated risk. You know, you calculate things. You have to figure out what your weight is. You've got to figure out, like, if you're jumping off a train, you're going to have an alligator pack on, alligator pad on you. And some bikers have that, you know, so, and when you're rolled, you got to tuck your head in like you're doing a keto, you know. There's things you learn. You have to know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, don't do it. Buffalo Child, can you give some guidance to someone listening who would like to connect more with spirit and this land around us? Missoula, Montana is a very sacred place, I believe, and this whole area is a place where not only the rivers come together, but a lot of different people come together. Can you help us with a little bit of guidance as to how you might be able to get a little closer to spirit? You have to go out in nature. You know, you have to go out in nature. A lot of people are, they're addicted to their texting, their messaging, their Facebook, whatever. You got to shut it off. You got to connect. Would you rather have an artificial relationship or a real one? Well, of course you want to have a real one. And sometimes you just got to shut off the other stuff. You got to be in some quiet and you meditate or you go in nature. And I've been in ceremonies where I've gone like four days, many times without food. And you, you pray out there and you meditate. I've even done seven days once, not even a crumb of food or a drop of water. People say it can't be done. Oh, it can be done. Just be careful the way you do it. And, and you know your limits and you, and you pray about things, you know, and, and if you get a message, you know you stop because maybe you had a, something special happen to you. I had a dream one time. I've had many dreams, and I've had visions too. And the difference between a vision and a dream is simple. A dream is something that happens when you're uh, sleeping, and you have this dream, and you wake up. And I've used my dreams a lot of times to help me. One time I was doing electrical work, and I was learning it. And I was, how you wire this house? Oh, this is a complicated problem. And I tried everything, and I couldn't figure it out. And asked them, lecture, they couldn't figure it out. So I thought about it before I went to bed and kind of prayed about it. And then in my sleep, I, I dreamt of how to do it. And when I woke up, I was all excited. I want to rush to work and do it. And I fixed it because my dream showed me how to fix it. So dreams are, are special. They can give you answers. But a vision is something that happens like when you're wide awake. And I'm not going to share some of the visions I've had. I've had many. But, you know, a vision is something. For example, we're in this radio room here right now, and all of a sudden we hear a knock, and we see a wolf walking around in here. 
What's this wolf doing here? You know, this is different. It comes up to you and licks you. And then it walks through the wall and disappears. That would be like a vision. And you're not on drugs. That's like a vision, you know. That's a, a bad analogy. But I'm just trying to give you some sort of an idea of what a vision would be like. And I've had blessings in life with visions. And, and these are real. And they talk about the Indian ways are gone. That's bullshit. Sorry. Shouldn't have said that, I guess. They've been spread thin. And they're all over the place. As long as the sun still shines, the river still flows. Grandfather, you know, my grandfather's son, Kokum Tipskak, Pisim, Grandmother Night Moon, Notawi Ma, Father Sky, and Gawiaski, Mother Earth. There will always be spirits here and spiritual things. And I enjoy, you know, Missoula. There's been a lot of things that have happened to me in Missoula, you know, and there's a lot of beauty here, you know. You just got to watch out for ego, and you got to watch out for excessive movement. You got to watch out for excessive noise. But three things, when I had the dream, the three things were life, love, and Kamoshumno, the great spirit, creator. If you respect life, your life, the lives of others, and if you love, you learn how to have self-love, not narcissistic love, but self-love, respect for yourself, and you have love for other people, and then you have the creator in your life. You become part of creation, and that's when you walk in beauty, and that's when you walk in harmony, and that's when you're blessed. And I walk like that lots of times. Not all the time. I'm human. But I try, you know. And I enjoy life. And I'm blessed. Sanma. Hey, hey. Thank you. Buffalo Child, I just wanted to thank you so much for making time and reaching out to join me here on the Trail Less Traveled. I look forward to meeting with you again, maybe when the snow is on the ground <laughs> and uh, potentially down in Sedona. Mm-hmm. You are not only a actor, a stunt performer, a hoop dancer, you're also a poet. Mm-hmm. Could you share some of your poetry with us, please? Yeah, I, I wrote a poem one time, and I gave it to a girl, a young girl, and she won a contest with it. I'm going to say who she was, but it was, <laughs> was kind of special. But in my life, I always have problems because it's part of life. Sometimes we have problems with relationships. Sometimes we have problems with things that happen. You know, so I like poetry. If I have a problem, for example, a relationship and something goes south with some girl I really like, you know, because she has anger issues or she's promiscuous or I'm promiscuous, whatever, and I don't choose to be that way and I haven't been that way for a long time. I think of this poem, you know, it called Comes the Dawn. I didn't write this one, though, you know. It says... Comes the dawn, after a while, you learn the subtle difference between holding a hand and chaining a soul. You learn that love doesn't mean leaving and company doesn't mean security. After a while, you learn that kisses aren't contracts and presents aren't promises. After a while, you learn that even sunshine burns if you get too much. So you plant your own garden. You decorate your own soul instead of waiting for somebody to bring you your happiness. After a while, you learn that you really can endure with every goodbye you learn. Comes the dawn. And there's a song I like. Uh, I can sing maybe a verse of it. I don't know who wrote it. Socrates or Dr. Hooker. I don't know who. (laughs) It goes, there was a little baby one time that was crying. You pick up the baby. Baby's sacred. Children are sacred. 
She was crying, so I hit the back of the guitar like I was drumming. I go, storms never last, do they, baby? Bad times, bad times, bad times all pass. Your hand in mine stills the thunder, and you make the sun want to shine. Yeah, you make the sun want to shine. And the baby smiled, and she was happy. <laughs> Tanse Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the world. You can subscribe to the free podcast wherever you gather your podcasts and consider visiting traillesstraveled.net to see pictures and archive previous episodes. I would like to thank my guest for this week, Buffalo Child. Buffalo Child is a member of the North American Plains Cree Indian Nation and started riding horses at a young age. He is a professional stuntman and actor who has starred in numerous films, including Dances with Wolves and Cowboys and Aliens. Buffalo is a rider and educator who currently resides and rides horses on a ranch outside of Sedona, Arizona. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Has Traveled, and my goal for the show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Has Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world in order for me to find these adventurers and connect with them in their natural environment. The Trail Less Traveled is the community source for adventure information and inspiration every Sunday night at 6. My adventure tip this week is to never underestimate the value of socks. Let's say you planned a short hike and that's why you didn't bring an extra jacket, water, or a hunting weapon. One single sock can be of use. Socks can serve as gloves. You can fill a sock with mud or wet clay, then wring out every drop of moisture and you have water. You can also use socks to dress a wound or put them over your boots for some traction to prevent slipping. Put rocks in socks and you have a weapon. Well, that's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please do something for Mother Earth and get outside and shred the gnar. Because as you know, the gnar does not shred itself.